Hi, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. This is a reminder that we're going on tour next summer. Yes, that's right. We're going on tour. The Living Undeterred U.S. Tour 2022. We're leaving on May 9th next summer. We're going to every state and we're raising a million dollars. That's the plan to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. We need your help though. I cannot do this alone. I know there's a lot of people out there interested in this uh, project of ours. You can go to our website, www.livingundeterred.com. We need volunteers. We need state partnerships. We need sponsors. We need as many people as we can to get out there and help those people that need help to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. Again, go to livingundeterred.com and click on the Living Undetoured icon, and all the information is there. Again, thank you very much for the support, and as always, keep living undeterred. Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast, and today we have a, a real treat today. Um, not very often I get to have two guests on the show, uh, today, I am honored to have uh, two guests that are becoming really good friends of mine. Uh, I think after this show, you will see bits and pieces of each of our stories intertwined together. And we have met now at this crossroads of our lives. Uh, all of us are uh, at a stage where we've been vulnerable. We've talked about certain things that have happened to us with the hope that this can better uh, humanity and help people get through the day-to-day -day battles that they're going through. So with that, again, I want to thank everyone for being on the, uh, watching the Living or listening to the Living Undeterred podcast. We've been going strong since about January. You can subscribe. You can um, uh, uh, like us on all the outlets, uh, Spotify, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And without much further ado, I'm going to introduce our two guests, and we are going to navigate through a lot of difficult topics today. Um, some topics that for some people, I think this would be a time a time to maybe throw a trigger warning out there. Uh, and I'm sure Molly, when this does post, will have a trigger warning. We're going to talk about some sensitive issues today. Um, we're going to talk about sex abuse. We're going to talk about uh, heroin overdose. We're going to talk about uh, alcohol-related deaths. We're going to talk about trauma. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things. So... My two guests, uh, Antarctic Mike. Mike is uh, well known on the Living on the Turd podcast. Uh, we had a, you were on our live stream, Mike, and you were also one of my early guests on the original podcast. And we talked in, in depth about your story about perseverance and endurance and some of the personal uh, traumatic events you went through um, uh, with, with yourself and Angela. And, um, and then Wayne Coffey, we're going to uh, introduce you as well and talk about your absolutely amazing. Heart-wrenching, but very admirable, heroic story in what you you talked about and how we're going to help people navigate through some tough things today. So with that, Antarctic Mike, Wayne Coffey, which one of you wants to introduce themselves first? Age I'll talk, before... I'll... <laughs> Age before beauty. I like that. <laughs> I, I was going to talk about Wayne. I, um, you know, for those of you that don't know me, I became um, an Antarctic and an endurance junkie years ago when I ended up going to Antarctica twice to run a marathon and an ultra marathon. And I put myself through two years of mentally rigorous training. Now, the interesting part of the story is, in hindsight, I discovered the reason why I became such an Antarctic addict, let's call it. Um, it was to really get me through some of the battles that I go through as a spouse who's married to somebody who has a series of disabilities. And Angela, my wife, we've been married for almost 32 years. And um, the battle, she fell off a mountain 125 feet back in 1985. Wow. And the consequences of this go on. And I mean, it's, an, it's like a well, like it just doesn't ever end. And the difficulties have been like I could... I could shoot a whole film just about that story. But my point is, it's really made me, I think, a lot more sensitive to people who are going through this. I've watched her go off prescription medication. I've seen mental hurdles. I mean, I've just seen it all. And, um, and then I met Wayne back, when was it, like in March or April of this year? March, 
March. March. Okay, I was scheduled to go to a speaking engagement, and Wayne was hosting this particular meeting. And he says, hey, let, let's go to dinner you know, the night before if you get in early enough. And I always schedule my trips to try and allow for time to do that so I can get to know people. And Wayne and I sat down to dinner. And I have to tell you, I've been speaking across the country for more than a dozen years. And I've sat down to you know, a gazillion dinners with people in every state just about. Never in my whole life had I sat down with a complete stranger at a dinner table and walked away from it, you know, a couple of hours later going, right. This is like one of the best friends in my whole life. I felt like I'd known Wayne for half of my lifetime, even though I'd only met him 20, what, two hours prior. And, um, I guess that sort of teased Wayne up to tell his story, but his story just, it just made me a fan. Yeah, I, I agree with that. My first time I talked to Wayne was over an hour and a half, I think, driving up to our vacation in Minnesota. And I put the phone down and said, I've got to I've got to get this story out there. Uh, this is a new thing that I, I wasn't very familiar with. I, I didn't go through what Mike went or uh, Wayne went through. Um, I'm sure I know a lot of people that have but haven't talked about it. So with that, Wayne, I guess um, I guess we'll have you uh, introduce yourself and maybe give a little background about um what makes you uh, living undeterred, I guess, is what I would say. Sure. And I love the living undeterred because for those of us who have been through um, life challenges, and I do believe everybody is on a journey and has a story to tell in some way or fashion. Some of us are luckier than others in being able to overcome those challenges. And for me, the, the overcoming of, of this great challenge of child sex abuse was finding a mate hmm. who believed in me enough to be relentless in mm -hmm. making sure that I finally got help. Because it's a, if um, dealing with child sex abuse, especially for men, is very difficult because we absolutely believe that we have tattooed on our forehead hmm. abused. So we, as so many of us hear from other speakers, we put a mask on and that mask is, Hey, look over here. Cause I don't want you to look at the, what I feel is a real person. I know I've shared with both Mike and Jeff, but I think it's important for sharing with everybody mm -hmm. that those of us who have been sexually abused, the average age of a male to come forward in their life is 52. So wow. it's 52 years. I can only tell you of hell. Um, I was lucky that at age 42, I was able to finally confront the demon. And the demon is really, it's real and it's in your brain. And I, I just would like to explain, and, and Jeff or Mike, stop me at any time if you, if you do have a question. I don't believe I am a hero. I believe that I am somebody that was given a gift in, in the, in the, and I'll, I'll come back to the words of Monty Roberts, the horse whisperer, who challenged me to start my nonprofit, No More Stolen Childhoods. And he challenged me that I had a story to tell. As Mike always will tell you, everybody's got a story. Yeah. And um, the, the story was that age, between the ages of five and 12, I was sexually abused by my uncle. Um, who also was my godfather in our in, in our family, your godfather was very important. Um, but you can you can only imagine that at age five, and most of us can't think back to age five, right? That I was seduced, and I that this is really important for people to understand that you as a child are seduced for six to nine months before a sexual act of any kind occurs. Hmm. And what does that seduction do? The seduction makes you as a child believe that what is happening to you is your fault. Hmm. And that's how they, they trap you mentally. And if you think of a child's brain until the age of 12, I mean, we're getting younger and younger with puberty. We do not act with logic. A child right. acts with emotion. Right. So, the emotion gets turned around from what we're used to. And I hit it in a number of ways. Um, mainly, I, I, I say in, in my book that I wrote in 2007, that the scouting saved my life. 
because it finally gave me an avenue where I could use my talents and skills outside of what was happening to me internally. And I, it made me want to excel in everything that I did. So, Go ahead, Jeff. I see you have a well, question. Well, no, I just wanted to um, put Wayne's book up here. Uh, I read it again last night. I've read it twice now. And I'm at a loss for words, to be honest with you, Wayne. It, it really opened my eyes to this um, horrendous uh, – I, I, Can I, I use the I, word I like to use, Jeff? Yeah, that helped me out there. I'm struggling. Heinous. Thank you. I don't believe there's another illness <laughs> mentally that touches all five senses at any one time. Mm. That the, a sight, a smell, a touch, or a sound can take me back to what I call the Grand Canyon in my mind of what was etched for seven years. Mm. You, you know, as I read the book and I look at and I won't, I won't, uh, and I would really, really suggest that if anybody wants to read a, a really um, heartfelt, honest, raw book mm -hmm. uh, on a topic that just doesn't get discussed enough uh, is, is Wayne's book. And I can have information mm -hmm. on, on our sites and so forth for everybody that's interested in getting it. But 39 million, 39 million survivors of childhood sex abuse in America today. And this was the stat that Mike and I went back and forth on. Matter of fact, we had dinner. I want to see Mike speak in Omaha for a Vistage uh, presentation. And we went out for dinner afterwards. And we just sat around and looked around the restaurant thinking, okay, one in four girls and one in six boys in this room, men and, men and women, have been sexually abused before the age 18. And we just looked around the room going, I wonder which ones in this room were the ones that were sexually abused. And that really hit home to Mike and I, Wayne, when I read your book and I saw that statistic, is if you think about that, like a school teacher, and you have an average classroom of 20 kids, there's two to four kids, maybe maybe three to six kids in that classroom that have been sexually abused. And that's at an age before they got into substance abuse and all the other things that can, can build a foundation of poor choices on top of that. So... I guess the question I have for you, Wayne, where was the pivot point from victim to advocate? I mean, what, what, what happened in your life that, that pivoted you from many people using this as a victim for the rest of their life, drinking themselves to death or maybe getting into whatever, or some people using it as a way to be advocacy towards a certain uh, passionate um, issue like, mm -hmm. like you have. So where was that moment for you? The moment was an afternoon on a sales call. I was listening to the radio between calls, and they interviewed a gentleman called Dr. Dan Allender, who had written the book, The Wounded Heart. Mm. And I listened to the interview, and I was just, I was stunned. And I thought that it, it, it finally came to me. Now, in the background, I, I need to tell everybody, as I said earlier on, having a mate that um, helps and believes in you is so important because my wife Dolores was constantly trying to get me to get help. And I mm -hmm. literally drove from that sales call, walked in the front door and said, I'm going to convict my uncle of sexually abusing me and I'm going to go into therapy. And that was in 1998. So that was, a, it was a cathartic, but I also under, I also didn't understand Jeff and, and, and Mike, that the journey I was going to be taking was long and arduous. And it's probably the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. Well, the most eye-opening part, eye-opening part of the book for me was when you went through the, the trial and so forth and certain individuals, and I'll let you talk mm -hmm. more about that, uh, literally didn't support you, didn't believe you, you know, um, and you, you document this in the book. And I'm just thinking, wow, that, that tells you how in denial family members can be about these things. Like there's no way Wayne has to be making this up. It, it's the big secret. And, and right. I, I remember my wife was kind of hesitant and said, are you really sure you want to, you're going to go through with this? And I said, well, I'm so sure that I'm going to call my parents tonight and say, I want to have dinner with them. Mm. And when I went home and had dinner with my parents, my father never said a word. And my mother, because it was her brother, 
attack me is the best way that I can say. And this is, I, I say that only because most of us go through that. We become the black sheep of the family because we have unveiled the secret that no family wants to have come out. Because again, there's no other heinous crime out there, in my opinion, than child sex abuse. But it doesn't mean you can't overcome. And after eight years of counseling and a lot of hard work, I was able to heal. Now, I, I say to everybody, and I have to, part of our mission statement for No More Stolen Childhoods was helping people with permanently scarred lives. And people say, well, why would you have an organization that has permanently scarred people? You know, mm. you, you want to hear something at the, at the mm. outcome, somebody's going to be well. The permanently scarred means that still to this day, I have that Grand Canyon of yeah. memories in my mm -hmm. mind, yeah. but I've learned how to deal with that, that memory and how when a, a touch or sight or sound can suck me back, I can go, go above and beyond that. And I also believe that you can't peel the onion back all at one time. You know, Wayne, it's Mike said something that resonated with me early in our relationship. And he always writes in his books, you know, keep conquering. But Mike talks about, you know, small wins, like, like, like you, you got to have wins. You, you got to have like win the day, win the moment. And I kind of look at the traumatic event I went through losing my son and my wife uh, and, and that's true, you know, deal with grief to deal with trauma. You've got to not sit there and go, well, I'm just going to wake up one day and be over it. Right. And, and Mike, and Mike, you talked about this a lot on your podcast when you run up, were you on my show earlier about small victories, about, about win the moment, win the day. Do you, do you mind elaborating? Yeah, <laughs> I see Pace the Penguin. All right. Um, no, I, I have to laugh because Pace represents a great, um, a great uh, metaphor, I guess, or a, uh, a way to look at life. You know, you're not going to wake up and Wayne, I'm sure you could agree. I didn't, I don't wake up each morning saying, all right, I'm over the death of my son. I'm over the death of my wife. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? No, that's very true. I think the thing that impressed me most about Wayne, when you, Wayne, and you go back to that dinner that when you called your parents and said, okay, I'm coming over for dinner and we got to talk when you made the decision that you were going to, you know, take the bottle off the genie bottle or the cap off the genie bottle. Um, it, I mean, is it, from what I recall from our discussions, that event basically put you and your mom on separate roads, did it not? Absolutely. And you're still on separate roads, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, and when you told me that, I thought to myself, sometimes the price of confrontation sometimes the price we have to pay to live by the truth is going to cost us our relationship with our mom and in this case it literally cost you your relationship with your mom because you could have clearly made a choice to back off oh okay well we won't go there mom well, many have many have i'm sure many have i'm too. sure there's probably more that have done that mike by far that did what wayne did and i thought to myself that story has so much horsepower for the real world because right. it's bigger than sexual abuse. It's about the price of the truth. And if you look at our world today, you know, you see yeah. all the polarization and the bickering and the fighting and, you know, the black and the white and the money and the no money. And we know what all the issues are, but those are not the issues. One of the key central issues that's wrong in our society today is the fact that we don't have enough people, men, women and kids confronting the truth at any cost. We don't have enough of them. And I got to believe that looking at the truth in the eye and confronting it. Now, I realized to Jeff's point earlier, it's not like we can wake up one day and just go, okay, well, I'm, I'm ready to do it just because it's the right thing to do. Wayne, you and I have talked many, many times about how you have to be ready for that moment. And when you heard that interview on that radio, as you were driving around in between sales calls, that was your moment. And you knew the window was open. Correct. And I think for, for, for the listeners, you know, I think it's fair to say that you don't have to, you know, push the button of truth necessarily immediately because it's the right thing to do. You have to be ready to do it. And I yeah. can tell you from my own story from Angela, Angela healed from 
from the things that happened to her, from her trauma, many years after the fact, as you did, Wayne, but she was ready. And she knew when she was ready. Nobody had nobody pushed her in that direction. She she had to carry herself to that point and then make that decision herself. And and yeah, and she's taken very small steps. But, you know, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And that's exactly what you experienced. But, I, you know, when and I still shake my head when I tell people your story and I think that's the price of the truth. Sometimes it's going to cost you your family. But I mean, that, it can't get a whole lot more expensive than that, right? And and the the issue is not that the the love of your family um, isn't important to you, right? You learn you learn because you so desperately we we are tribal people, human beings right. are tribal, absolutely. So we desperately want to to be with in 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 that group, and what we find is that by going that route. And staying in that toxic culture, and that's what it, be, it, it I would be physically ill when I go to my parents' house. That I just would get because mm-hmm. I knew that what I what I had wrapped unwrapped was the the, the genie bottle, and it wasn't it wasn't a nice genie that was coming out, and it, it it's. You, you have to learn, I, I, my faith tells me this, that you, you can forgive, but forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. And people need to, under, people have asked me over and over, well, have you forgiven your uncle? Well, for a long period of time, no. But then I finally believe that if I don't forgive, then it eats at me. Right. But there's no way that I would reconcile. And that's right. a big, big difference in the reconciliation. I want to ask you this Mm. question, but I'm going to frame it in in a different way than I originally was going to frame it. Um, I'm not going to ask you, do you regret anything? Because I think going back in the past and playing that game is not healthy. Um, Yet, I want to ask you, using the benefit of hindsight, are there things you would have done differently? And I'm not talking about the actual event that happened to you. I'm talking about post the event, the the, the Mm. 20 or 30 years that went on. Now looking backwards at those times, you know what would you have done differently to get yourself where you are today, but maybe in a quicker way? I'm not so sure that's possible, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I believe what Mike was saying is is so true. With with Angela's taking the baby steps, I wasn't ready mm-hmm. mentally to handle the pain mm-hmm. that I was going to have to go through. Mm-hmm. Sure. And if you remember the the, the the chapter in the book called Blow Up Sunday, yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty intelligent individual. I'm, I'm not the, the brightest, but I have some <laughs> um, smarts about me. I couldn't understand why every Saturday, excuse me, every Sunday and holiday, I would blow up my wife or my kids. Mm-hmm. And it took about six to eight months of counseling. And, and uh, the doctor said, so let's talk about what did you do? on Sundays and holidays, went to my grandfather's. Guess who lived with my grandfather? Right. My uncle. Right. So I couldn't understand why I couldn't at, in 42, 42, let's say 30 years, I couldn't understand why that was. I wasn't, I wasn't ready and I wasn't capable of digesting that, that information until things involved. And that's why it took eight years. And that's why you can't go from the outer layer to the core immediately because mm-hmm. mentally and physically, I don't believe you can handle it. Now, I will also tell you that, you know, I do speaking on, on the topic and I have heard stories that the people will say, well, I want what you have, Wayne. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, it's taken me nine, 10, 15 right. years to get there. Uh, <laughs> But, and, and I said, but you have to go back before you go forward. Right. And some people can't go back. They're afraid they'll die. And I mean, it's a little, little, I've, I've had people run out of the room um, that, that it just triggered again that, mm-hmm. that, that they had a, uh, something inside of them that was just tearing them apart. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy, a guy every time I see him, uh, I hug him and say, are you ready, Jim? And he goes, no. 
I don't think I'll ever be ready. And I can't, I, I won't try to force that person because my wife always reminds me, you know, Wayne, you, you give your book to people and say, you know, read it and see if it will help you. If somebody would have given you that book in your 30s, mm. you'd have never read it. Mm. So I think that there's, yeah. it's, it's, you, you have to keep searching and want to get well. Everything that I did was try to get better at being a, a person that people would respect. And by that, I think I built up some character where I could finally confront it. Yeah, I think there's no question. Mm. And Mike and I were talking about this last night about the use of a therapist. Uh, oh, know, my gosh. And, and, and you can't, you know, if I said, hey, Wayne, you need to go see a therapist. Well, the reality is it's not going to be as impactful in your life if someone else tells you to go do it. So there was, an, there was an aha moment for you. And I know in our family, we've, we've started the use of a therapist as well with myself and my two boys. And um, I think when I was talking to Mike, my point was that I didn't want the boys to go to a therapist from it coming from me or because they had to go. In other words, yes. it's almost like it's almost like pre prehab or prevention, Wayne, is where you go see the therapist, develop a relationship before you really need to use them, you know, and then when you yep. need to use them, they're like that friend right there that that's ready to listen. I think too many of us, we have a traumatic event. Someone says, go see a therapist. And you're like, well, OK, but I'm just going to go sit there and tell them my story and then nothing's going to happen. It's like your attitude will determine everything. I think if you go to a therapist and I just started seeing one and I can tell you, it's made a real big difference in, in my life. Did you well, find, but I'm just, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think like I know in Angela's case, she had to be ready to push the therapist button. That's what I meant. And that's I think, what I meant. and I think Wayne, just like she had to make that decision. That's very similar to when you heard that interview on that radio and you were like, okay, I'm ready. You yep. have to be ready to confront the truth. You have to be ready to get help. You have to be ready for all of this. I mean, in a perfect world, you know, we as people who have, you know, crossed the river, so to speak, and, and would like to help a lot of other people cross the river, it's easy to stand there and say, well, we'll jump right now. I'll take my hand. I'll, I'll pull you right over. Well, the, the reality is they're not even standing at the riverbank on the other side ready to reach a hand until they're ready to. And we can't accelerate that process. Is that a fair statement, Wayne? In my opinion, yes. It absolutely yeah. is a fair statement. And, and I also found that if you don't believe that your therapist is giving or listening to you, find another therapist. I went through yeah. three before I finally found Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and the w one thing that I also have, have found in helping people is to say there is no shame to go to a therapist. Even, I, I can remember, I paid it out of pocket because I didn't want to put it on my insurance and my insurance company knew that I was going to go see a therapist. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and a lot of people have the shame of saying, I, I really need help. I have a, and I, I believe this is only increasing because I have a psychiatrist group in my Vistage group and they're adding 200, to 260 new patients a week. Holy cow. Yes. And that's just in the Maryland area. That's yeah, in one city. <laughs> that, uh, that, that's, that's, um, that's amazing. Um, he can't hire people fast enough. Let me, I want to segue just a little bit sure. into sex trafficking. Um, that's not an area that I've ever discussed on my show. Matter of fact, I've had four individuals on the show that have had sex abuse three have been women's you're the first male i've had wayne that's that's come out and talked about this so i applaud you for that um but let's talk a little bit about sex trafficking we we dabbled a little bit on the air before we, we taped and i think it's i think i'm seeing more shows about it more flyers out there at rest stops i mean there's more information out there but how prevalent is it and is it something that you know we, we need to really be concerned of as parents yes it I do. I don't. I don't believe it is, is is readily available in America as it is in the rest of the world. We we have to understand. That I, I was just talking to a um, visit speaker, Corinne Hancock, who's going to come speak to my group, and she traveled the world right outside of um, college, 
working for UNICEF and some others on child trafficking, there are parts of Africa and the Southeast where it's an accepted practice to sell your daughter or your son to yeah. live, to survive. And I believe we, we as a, a, a country don't even think about that. And, and I, I dread to see when money can be made uh, by people selling children. It's dramatic. It's, 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 it is. And I, 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 we talked again, I just thought popped in my head about being in survival mode versus living mode. You know, the three of us are yeah. in living, you know, it's we're in living way mode. To say I, it. Right. We yeah. don't have, we don't, we don't have to go out and find food. I got a place to sleep. Nope. Um, right. you know, I mean, I, I'm for all sense and purposes, I got it, I got it made. Um, and there's a lot of the world that, yeah, there's a lot of the world that they wake up and not only did they have a horrible night's sleep, but they certainly can't eat. They, they don't know how to, there's no food available for them. So we're not in survival mode. So for us to to say we would never do that is, you know, again, I I like to believe I would never do something like that. It's no different. I was, I was telling Wayne, Mike, about a study that came out about, um, a poll that was given of people if, if they would if they would have done the atrocities the Germans did during during the Holocaust, you know, would you have been a right. guard to, to shoot kids and, and and people? And everyone said no. Well, but the reality is, if you were in that situation, your family was going to be murdered or you were going to be murdered. Who knows how you would react? So sure. again, until you've walked in someone's shoes or slept in their bed, it's hard to really say how you'd react if you were in full survival mode, which none of us, fortunately. And none of my kids are either. So I just thought that was well, interesting. Well, it's also dynamic. very fair to say that this whole sex trafficking thing is a bigger problem in the confines of the United States than most people realize. I went to a speaking engagement about three or four weeks ago in San Juan Capistrano, which is just north of San Diego. And um, I met some people from an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. Have you ever heard of this, mm. Wayne? No. They're out of Salt. The founders out of Salt Lake City. And it's quite a story. It's a it's a whole 501c3 nonprofit that is really making a concerted effort to take this bull by the horn and kill it. I mean, really making a concerted effort to bury this problem and try to tackle this problem. And And my eyes were opened. You know, to the fact that this is an issue more than the average person walking around out on the streets of the U.S., realizes so just like i think the the one in four and the one in six that jeff you know how much that threw us backwards right so being naive i guess is are these the drug cartels are these i mean when you say sex trafficking are these um you know there are certain um uh i don't say industry but you know i mean who's actually doing all this i mean are these just strangers abducting people or is there an underbelly of society where this stuff goes on or that's not a well-versed I'm not either. The child trafficking. I, I, I not know either. enough to be dangerous, so I, I wouldn't want to venture. But I, I mean, the answer is a- probably either thugs and criminals or people in desperation mode, right? Yeah. Well, it has to be. They say the Mexican cartels are bringing them across the border like crazy now. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, you were talking. Um, let's see. I was trying to remember. You and I talked on so many different topics. Uh, I was going to mention something. I, I must have forgot it. Um. But, you know, going back to uh, what, what I, the average person watching this podcast, let's say they got a couple of kids who are younger. What are the red flags you could you could give to parents? Mm-hmm. What, what are what are the things that you would say? And I don't want to create paranoia where every incident is going to be looked upon as this. In right, this manner, right. But there's certainly there's certainly Wayne and you're you know, you would have more uh, to, to comment on this than anybody that I know. But what would be some basic red flags that you would throw out there to help? Uh, help parents? Number one, I think parents have to understand, and it's a hard fact to um, digest, but over 90% of children that are sexually abused are abused within the family or friends of the family. I saw that. So if you see that one of your children is being, uh, having a lot of attention, I mean, my uncle used to give me more gifts than any of the other um, cousins in, Mm -hmm. in the family. Mm. Um, he paid more attention to me and, and I'll give you an example. I've worked with, um, one of the brothers of two brothers in a family where their church counselor sexually abused them. Mm. 
And he asked me, he said, can you talk to my father? And I said, sure. So I walked into the restaurant to sit down. And he goes, you really don't want to sit down at that chair. And I said, well, why not? Why wouldn't I want to sit down? He said, because I want to kill him. I said, well, of course wow. you want to kill him. But what's going to happen to you? Right. He said, my wife and I, now looking back, and everybody that I've ever dealt with whose children have been sexually abused, the signs were there, yeah. such as this church counselor volunteered to take them home. And mm -hmm. my gosh, it was great. So we didn't have to go pick them up. Yeah. After their church meetings, or I'll take them this weekend. So you don't have to worry about it. what parent doesn't like a break. It's, mm -hmm. it's affection that you see a child getting that are above and beyond. And mm -hmm. I tell everybody, you remember when you were 11 and 12 and you would say you were in a group of baseball, girl scouts, boy scouts, you know, that doesn't that guy really give you the creeps <laughs> and everybody go, yeah. Well, we ought to stay away from him. We <laughs> as adults shut down that gut feel. Mm. For whatever reason, we don't want to believe that somebody would do that. But it's enough of the statistics bear it out. It happens so often that we have to get in touch with. Well, what if I'm wrong? Okay. So what if you are wrong? What's the worst that's going to happen? Right. Do you want your, do you want your daughter at... 30 mm -hmm. years old telling you that Uncle Johnny sexually abused you? Mm. Or do you say, you know, I don't think you ought to be around it. You also need to let your children ask you questions. Mm. You have to be open about nobody. We, we, we created a coloring book, Safe Kid Club. And the, the best page in the book was a child in a bathing suit. A girl in a two-piece and a boy in trunks. Nobody mm -hmm. has a right to touch you that's covered up, but your mother, your father, and your doctor with permission. You know, it's amazing how many parents allow their children to go over to people's houses that they don't even know and and then sleep over the night. And I'm not trying to be paranoid, but I, because of what happened to me, we, my wife and I were really cautious. Mm. about who our children spent the night with. And I watched relationships that they had. If, if, if you see a dramatic decrease, mm. um, I worked with the family where their daughter, and these were really close friends of mine, um, was an incredible student. And all of a sudden she started failing. Mm. They tried everything to get this young lady to turn around and they were taking her to a mental institution to try to figure it out. Mm. And that's when she blurted out that one of their best friends had a, who had a daughter, their age had a bedroom next door to where his daughter slept. And there was only one bathroom to use. Mm -hmm. And thank, thank God she came through with, um, admitting before they put her in that mental institution. And today she has two lovely children and very successful. So Wayne, you know, Mike and I talk at length and obviously by the time the show's over, I want to talk about the, uh, the, the living undeterred us tour that we're doing next summer, which your hometown will be one of our stops. Um, right. You know, in, 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 in uh, over overdoses, the year our son died, it was 56,000 okay. overdose deaths. Last year, we're on pace for 2021, 96,000, going from 56 in five years, Wayne. Uh, alcohol overdoses are higher they were this year than they were uh, alcohol deaths. Um, yep. You know, suicide attempts, suicide, suicidal Huge. ideation, and actual suicide uh, is, is the highest it's, it's ever been. So none of the statistics that involve quality of life and well-being are improving. Uh, is that, I have to assume that the sex abuse numbers aren't uh, any different. I, I think that you're going to see more because more mm. people are reporting than mm. they have in the past. The, the, there's more organizations that are out there trying to raise awareness of what to look for. But I'm still amazed that when I speak, I mean, there's people that just have no idea 
how prevalent this disease is in this country and how, a, how we as a society have covered it up. I have a really strange question because I meditate and there's a lot of things I do that I'm going to potentially do down the road that would involve, um, you know, a deeper state of, of, of consciousness, you know, is it possible that some people just uh, in their fifties all of a sudden remember and they literally forgot for 30 years and then they went to uh, some type of, um, you know, I don't know what you call it, uh, uh, a sauna thing where they do the, um, oh, the Native Americans do it. Uh, what are they called? The, uh... oh, I don't know what it's called. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. I just couldn't remember. That's right. And all of a sudden they had a triggering event where they thought mm -hmm. about this thing that happened to them. I mean, is that something that you see happening um, with any increase in frequency or most of these things like your case where you knew all along and then one day you came out in the open and talked about it? My history with um, dealing with people is they knew it all along. I've only had one individual say to me, yeah, you know, after I heard you talk, I kind of remembered, but I can't put my, they call it repressed memory. Right. I right. just don't. I just don't have enough experience. I've just had one individual that that happened to. Well, there's a famous um, person on, on social media. I won't say his name because I actually haven't seen it, but I was told by somebody where he went on what was called an ayahuasca retreat, which is a very, um, it's a, it's a root, uh, that they, they boil up and then you take it and you, uh, it's, 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 um, like magic mushrooms or MDMA, things like that. that kind of take sure. you, it's psychedelic basically. And, He's a famous person, and he then remembered uh, a sexual molestation that happened when he was a child. And so that's why I threw that out there, is that maybe talking about this uh, can, can, can um, get people to maybe uh, remember these things that possibly happened to him at a young age. And is that something that I think that we need to be aware of, I guess? I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, it's interesting that same psychiatrist that is in my Vistage group, he is starting to work with... Um, ketamine. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Psychedelics, which yep. apparently now they, for most of us who go through child sex abuse or trauma like this have PTSD. Sure. And this apparently with both, um, both of those drugs, they're seeing a major, major impact for, for me. And, you know, and I've talked to you, Jeff and Mike, about this as well. Um, my grounding and my faith really helped me. Mm -hmm. you know, that that I had something that I I believed that people ask me all the time said, "Well, how could you believe in a God that allowed you to be sexually abused mm -hmm. as a five year old?" Mm -hmm. I said, mm -hmm. "It's a great question. <laughs> if I had the answer, and I will have the answer one day, I would tell you." But I also will tell you, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it didn't happen. So I look mm -hmm. at that, that what I experienced, and this is what um, Monty Roberts, the horse whisperer, who um, worked with Queen Elizabeth and her horses, I, I got to meet him. And he challenged me. He said, Wayne, you have a gift and you don't understand it's a gift. And the gift is that what happened to you was horrible, but it's what, what you do with that afterwards that's and so that's true when I, that's when i started and that's what you're doing living undeterred and having this tour is you feel that you have a cause that, that i have to get out there and raise awareness because I, I got lost about 10 years into my nonprofit with the statistics weren't changing and were we really making an impact but when i went back and read my notes of why i started the organization it was if I could save one child from being abused or heal one adult, then it was worth starting it. Mm. And but I, I know that I, I, people that call me five years after the fact said, I don't know who gave me your book, but I just want to let you know that I'm no longer in, in, in doing drugs and that I'm beginning to heal. And mm. that, that makes it all worthwhile. Well, I, th I think this is a perfect segue to kind of the last 15 or 20 minutes uh, talk about the Living Undeterred U.S. tour that we are doing next summer. And the reason why I think this is a good time to kind of move in this direction and then we can wrap up the show here in about 20 minutes is that 
you know, Mike, your story, Wayne, your story, my story is less of a me story and more of a we story. You know, it's, it's about sure. us. And in, in doing so, uh, this tour was born, uh, which was back in May of this year. And what do you mean by this tour? Well, actually, Mike and I were talking and we came up with this idea to go around the country and raise awareness to, to support and change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse and addiction. Now, your, your um, specific situation, Wayne, uh, the traumatic event you went through can lead to many things. It could lead to drug abuse. It could lead to alcoholism. It could lead to the unraveling of your life. So the mental health umbrella, as Mike and I always talk to, kind of covers everything. Would you agree with that? I will. And I had people say to me, so what, what happens to, to you people? I said, we become, we become drugaholics, alcoholics, yeah. workaholics, or eventually we kill ourselves. And there's a high rate of people that do that. Yeah. And so the tour next summer is so needed. And and Mike and I are constantly texting another story out there, Mike, another famous person overdosed or somebody committed suicide or got that athlete got drunk driving and killed, uh, killed uh, a person just the other day, uh, an NFL football player. You know, these, these stories are so prevalent. And I think the, the tour next summer for those of you that are new to this, uh, this idea, the Living Undeterred U.S. Tour, is essentially this idea where we're going to go around the country over about a 95-day time frame in an RV. Uh, and uh, I'm inviting both of you to go. And I know Mike and I choke all the time because I have a cat. His name is Opus. And he's, uh, he's 16 years old. He's been through, uh, you know, life's thrown him some curveballs, uh, like, like us all. And... Um, Mike always says, yeah, we're going to call the tour Two Clowns and a Cat. So uh, Sounds good to me. Yeah, that's, and, and you're not one of the clowns, Wayne. That's Mike and no. I. Um, I won't comment on that one. No, I don't think that's you need too much to. Of a uh, you're, you're, the sane, you're the sane one in this group. Uh, but I, I think, you know, here we are, three guys that have been through traumatic events, and we're laughing, having a good time. Life is, life is a great thing to live, and we want to, you know, honor – honor those that aren't with us and maybe respect the events that happened to us, but we certainly want to live for the living. We want to do things today to benefit us and those around us. So most definitely. Uh, yeah. So the tour next summer is going to be awesome. You guys are going to be a big part of it. Uh, I know we're stopping in Maryland. Uh, Wayne, you've got a couple of connections out there in that area that uh, some tour partners that we're going to stop at a facility, give a chance to hear all of our stories, raise some money, raise some awareness, hug a lot of people, cry with a lot of people, and then move on the next day to another city, another town, another state, and repeat this over again. And it's going to be the most humbling, most amazing experience of my life. And I have a feeling that, uh, that I'll never come back from it. Um, I think I'm pretty, con- <laughs> I'm pretty convinced that this will literally be a road that I'm going down. You know, I'm widowed. I'm 55. My parents are still here. I don't have a lot of reasons, though, to be sitting here in my house every day. You know, I don't have any kids. My kids are gone. They're in college or soon to be. Uh, I do have a beautiful five-year-old granddaughter that was my son's child that was born three, three weeks after he died of his overdose. His daughter was born. So I have Brighton here almost every weekend, and I'm going to take her on the RV for a part of our trip next summer. So, um, And we're going to make a difference, Wayne. We're going to take all this crap, all this tragedy and trauma and unfortunate circumstances and pain and suffering. And we're going to do something good from and with all this. And think of all the Wayne coffees out there and the Antarctic Mikes and the Jeff Johnsons. There's a story, Wayne, I got to tell you that uh, Mike's aware of this, but um, you're not. When my wife passed away, I was in her garage and we were cleaning stuff out. And some neighbors started coming over, you know, and I, I knew them and stuff just in passing. Uh, uh, and uh, my wife and I were going through a separation at the time. So we each had our own, own residence. But I was cleaning out our garage and, and the neighbors came over. and We started talking and I my full Antarctic mic kicked in, Wayne, where I started asking people questions about their life. You know, less about me telling my story and more about, hey, you know, I want to hear about yours. Just in the four people that came over. 
We had one that was a grandmother whose grandson hung, hung himself in the basement of her house across the street. We had another one whose brother got out of prison and overdosed like on his birthday the next week, drug overdose, heroin, and died. And we had another one that I can't remember what it was, but it, was, it wasn't a death thing, but it was a very traumatic event. But there was you know, four of us in one garage. We had a, two overdoses and a, and a suicide, you know, in one street, in one town, in one state. It, it, it's, 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 it's just jaw-dropping to me, the implications and the effect that we're going to have next summer going out there. Instead of waiting for people to come to us, we're going to go to them, and we're going to hear America. We're going to hear more Wayne Coffees, more Mikes, more Jeff Johnstons mm. telling these stories that, in turn, the next – you know, the next 20-year-old Wayne Coffey that, that was sexually abused or um, Nancy, mm-hmm. Nancy Barrows that was on my show, um, uh, uh, Danielle McLean, these are other individuals that were sexually abused. They can come out and tell their story and, and not end up, you know, committing suicide at 40 or becoming an alcoholic or dying of a drug overdose, you know? Yeah, well, and I think this medium that we're meeting on here, this is a microcosm of what we're going to build. Because I oh, yeah. do believe yep. that we, I mean, imagine if there's eight or 10 people that don't know each other, you know, one's in Oswego, New York, one's in Seattle, one's in Rogers, Arkansas. But the common denominator are these traumatic events or these circumstances that are very similar between these people. Now they have people that they can go on. I mean, Jeff, you've never met Wayne in person, but yet Wayne's close enough through the commonality of your stories and through. Right my relationship with each of you, that you guys now can lean on each other to a degree, right? And, I mean, to imagine creating that kind of bond for people, I mean, it doesn't replace a professional therapist, but it certainly builds a very solid peer group, which I think peers are a very important part of this equation. Are they not, Wayne? Yes, most definitely. Yeah. You're only as good as who you surround yourself with. And, and if we talk- can somehow forge that and help construct that, well, that's that's pretty beneficial. Yeah, I mean, you think that most ad- most advocates for trauma and grief and even alcoholism, substance abuse, they say build a toolbox, you know. And and Wayne, I use the analogy a, a, a quiver. You know, you yep. have an arrow. Maybe one arrow is you know meditation. Maybe an arrow is God. Maybe meditation. Maybe one arrow is lifting weights and, and running on your elliptical for an hour every day. Maybe one is reading a book. Maybe one is working at the local humane society or going to work with elderly people. Whatever that arrow is, you want to have that quiver overflowing with arrows. So at any given time, you feel like you're falling off your proverbial wagon. Maybe you consider in suicide. Maybe, maybe you're going to have that drink that you've not had for 20 years. And you can go to one of those arrows, right, Wayne? And pull that arrow yeah. out and say, boom, you know, I, I'm not going to do it today. And that's what this is all about. It is, and it's reinforcing that everywhere that we go. That there, yeah, I, there is hope. People at times just believe there's no hope and there's nobody that cares. So when you show up and to, to talk about what you've been through, and Mike talks about what he's been through, and I talk about what I've been through, people get they open up. It's it's just like Mike said. You know, I walked away after two hours because we both opened up and it, it, it that's what we need to create more and more of human beings who can be vulnerable because when you're vulnerable, you're going to attract people who need your help. Wayne, I have a tough question right on that topic. And sure. this, the, and I want you to answer this honestly, which I wouldn't expect you any other way, Wayne, had you not came out and you were still holding this in, would you still be here today? I'd be dead. That's that's mm. why I thought it was a tough question. Wow. No, wow. I, I, yeah. You know, and, and, and I I have the chance, I have seven grandchildren to hug my grandchildren. I love you, man. I, I'm so proud of you. I mean I, <laughs> I, I got I got uh I've got the hair standing up on my arm. Uh and um I <laughs> someone asked me the other day, we went around the room at a meeting and uh, said, what are you grateful for? You know, and everyone said, I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful for grandkids or grateful for my pets, whatever. I said the most odd thing ever. And I just popped into my head. 
and, and then Mike, this doesn't surprise you because I say odd things all the time. We're on you, but I said, I'm grateful for death. I'm grateful for the opportunity that death gave me to become a better human being and not a bitter one. And man, I tell you what, I love that phrase. And I'm not going to say you're grateful what happened to you, Wayne, but I'm sure you're grateful for your ability to come out and talk about it. I, I, I am. I'm, if you would talk to my wife, she would tell you that it was cathartic for me. At yeah, times. absolutely. At first, it, at first, it was really hard because I, you have to be very careful of you don't um, allow people's energy, negative energy to come in. Yeah. Uh, some people just want to unload and you have to, you have to put up barriers. Good point. You know, to, to, so that you can see more and more people mm. because it's, you know, when, when people expose themselves to the level that they are of, of things that they haven't told anybody ever, they're, they are so vulnerable at that point. Mm. You can't allow that energy to energy. It, you know, I, I, if, if you remember, um, Shawshank Redemption. Oh yeah, yeah. You know when yep. he could take that out. I liken that 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 energy that he take would take out of those people consumed him at times, but it saved those people. And I, I believe that your journey of going out on your tour allows this avenue of opening. So people can feel comfortable and be in a, in a place where they're going to be accepted and they don't have to wear their mask. A exactly. mask is a horrible thing to wear because when a mask tells you, I really don't love myself. Exactly right. I remember Mike saying, you know, Jeff, the success of this tour will be less about us telling our story, but more about hearing others. And that that really hit home with me. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people out there running around the country doing a lot of great things, yet they're spending almost all their time just rehashing their either traumatic event or their, uh, their, tough, or, their tough ordeal. And that's awesome, man. We, we'd have, we need to have that. But my perspective is I want to go out and meet more Wayne Coffees. you know, get them to yep. make the tour say, so here's a guy sitting around in, you know, in, in Springfield, Missouri, let's say that lost his uh, daughter to a heroin overdose or a drunk driver. They're angry. They're bitter. Um, they're not really sure how to deal with it. And all of a sudden this mm -hmm. RV pulls in these two clowns and a cat. And, uh, <laughs> and this RV pulls in with this living undeterred banner. And the guy's like, well, what the hell is this? And he takes a picture of it, goes to the internet. Well, this guy lost his son and his wife. And yet he's out there doing these things in, in a context of positivity, you know, doing something positive. I can do this too. I want to meet this guy. And that's exactly what I want the tour to be about is people coming out of their closet, coming out of their caves, coming out of their prisons that they've built because of whatever happened to them. And we can do this together as a team. And there's going to be so many other Wayne's and Antarctic Mike's out there that we're going to meet. And I got, we got seven months to plan this event and it's going to be, it's going to be epic. And I have to think it's going to, it's going to change a lot of lives. And I, I, I you know, I just hope, as I always tell Mike, I hope my cat can make it that long. He's 16 years old, <laughs> and I really want him to go on this journey with us, Mike. You know, with with Pace the well, Penguin. Well, you know, it, it, you talk about use the term coming out, right? Confronting the truth when Wayne right. finally got crossed that line and he was ready to go. That's vulnerability. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability, and I really believe, just from watching Angela and just knowing what I know about Wayne, I have to believe that. The more vulnerable you are, the more you heal. Mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. I, and I know in Angela's case, she was taking psych meds and all kinds of things for a long time to try to help her. It, it allowed her to exist but not live because she was never healing. Good point. Angela didn't start healing until she went off of all those meds. And now I'm watching, and it's been three years, and I'm watching this person Today, she is somebody that I almost don't recognize, other than the physical features. Her temperament, her, her disposition is completely different than what I knew before, in a good way. And, and it's only because she was vulnerable. And I really believe that the more vulnerable we are, that's going to give permission to other people. And that's going to that's gonna start to cascade. And I, I really believe, Jeff, that we're going to run it. I mean, the cascading effect is going to 
touch somebody first in, in Iowa and it's going to go to Nebraska or whatever the, ste- right. whatever the steps are. And somebody down the line, 17 steps down the line, is going to be the poster child story. We don't know oh, where it is yet. Absolutely. It may not be you. It may not be Wayne. It, right. may not be, it doesn't exist here in this call. Right. It's somebody that doesn't know us yet. And we don't know right. them because their level of vulnerability and that might be their radio show moment like Wayne had where they go, yep, this is my crossing right. of the line. And this is where the healing is going to start taking place right now. And that is going to then become the catalyst to reach that next person. And it's going to end up being this like a domino effect. And we just don't know where those dominoes are. My experience tells you you're set up. I have never, and this is an absolute where I can say never, had a speaking engagement where nobody came up after and said, can I talk to you about my story? Mm. (laughs) So you're opening up the avenue for people to feel vulnerable because you're being vulnerable. I'm being vulnerable. And I've heard that over and over again. The only reason that I walked up is I felt that I could say something. And again, I'll go back to being able to finally take off that mask to somebody to listen. And I I, I have to tell you, I have heard some, some of the worst stories that I never expected Mm. adults to do to children ever, ever. Mm. And the same thing that drives people to go to drugs. There's something for the most part that they're, they're, they're trying to medicate to get away from. And if we can open up their eyes, that there are alternatives and that to your point, Jeff, you, looking at death, maybe live. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe some people that they, they need an avenue where somebody is going to ignite what's in their heart and their mind that they really want to get out. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like, give me the key to unlock what has held me mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. for, could be 40 years for that. It was a slap so I, in I the really face. I really appreciate the opportunity to be part of it. How fragile life is, you know, and uh, when it you is. have these things, when you have these things happen and you have moments where the sun hits your face on, a, on an evening where you're looking at the ocean or you're, on a par three and it's, you know, beautiful and you want to hit your shot. It's like, then you smile and you think, you know, all that shit that I took to get to this moment, there's something about it being worth it. There's something about me being alive. And that's why I think that if you could, and and this is going to be hard to say, I don't have any evidence. I'm just going to purely guess, but if you could resurrect people that have committed suicide, my guess is that most of them would have, would regret that decision. I'm just guessing that. Um, I I, I don't, I, I I would agree with you. I would absolutely you know, agree with you. And I, I say that to, to people when I t- talk to them and they're thinking about suicide. I, I say that comment because obviously once they're gone, I don't have the ability to say a comment like that. I only right. have that ability to say it when they're here. So that may be tough love. It may be a hard thing to say. But, uh, you know, rock bottom for some people is death like it was for my son. Um, yep. For others, it's prison. For others, it's drunk driving, you know. Uh, but death is the thing we're trying to avoid in all these cases. So. Anyone out there that went through what Wayne went through, you know, um, there is there is hope. There is a better there is a better way to improve your life to to live another day. And uh, so I guess Wayne, I'm gonna we'll wrap this up. This has been a, uh, an amazing hour. It feels like ten minutes. Uh, we, yeah, we, could on, we could go on much longer. I, I know the three of us are going to do uh, a lot of work together. Uh, even after the tour, uh, to try to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. But Wayne, what are some last items you wanna you wanna kind of circle back and maybe mm. touch base on? And then, how can people reach you if people want to bring you in as a speaker? What are the best ways to contact mm. you? And how how can people buy your book? Uh, the book is on Amazon. They can they can get it from Amazon. Um, <laughs> there you go. Truth be told, that he gets it, and it's a very easy read. And what I mean by easy, you can pick it up. And the, the purpose of it being short and sweet was it's a tough subject. But at the end, the, the book tells you, and I'll tell you that as I'm sitting here 67 years old, that it's so much more fun to live life than to have to go through life not living. Mm. Well said. Well said. 
Mike, how are you going to top that? There's, a, there's some song lyrics that I think about almost every day, and they apply to what we're talking about here, because this is obviously a discussion about battling and difficulty yeah. and carrying stones up hills. I mean, no question about it. And there's no quick and easy answer. But the, the line of the song says, the pressure makes us stronger. The struggle makes us hunger. The hard lessons make the difference. And the difference makes it worth it. I think about the lyrics to that song seven days a week. I can't not think about it because it's so true. I mean, it is a struggle. I mean, to, to come out and confront the truth and be vulnerable is probably the hardest thing a human being can do in, in life. But yet it makes it worth it. Well said. Yeah, well, let's, guys, I really appreciate it. I love you both immensely. I've only known <laughs> yeah. you guys a short amount of time in my life, but you've been a big part of it. Uh, very much appreciate everybody's support on all that we've been through here at, uh, at Living Undeterred Project. Looking forward to next summer. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us through uh, the Living Undeterred website. We need state partners. We need tour sponsors. We need a tour coordinator. We need a tour manager. We need volunteers. Uh, and we are going to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. But we're not doing it alone. We're going to need a lot of help. Uh, so with that, I'm going to wrap up the show, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank as you. always, as always, keep living undeterred, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure our paths will cross here very quickly, shortly. Mm -hmm.